Hey, it's Andy Adams. Welcome to another episode of Pod Slam Adama. This episode is sponsored by Vince Harding, a real estate broker. He's a proud graduate of the University of Houston, former UH homecoming king, and a massive UH Coug athletics fan and season ticket holder. In addition to being a real estate agent, he is also an attorney. If you're thinking of buying or selling a house, please contact Vince Harding at 832 758 2712. Once again, that's 832 758 2712. Or you can contact him at vinceharding at gmail.com. He is rooting for the Cougs as they start Big 12 play. And, of course, this episode we're going to be talking all about the weekend that the men's basketball team stole when it comes to the headlines with the additions of former Temple guard Damian Dunn and former Baylor guard L.J. Cryer. High standards, high goals, and we know, we know what it takes to get there. I want to be unguardable, <laughs> if I'm honest. Coaches, coach, players play. You know, and that's a great place to be in your life. Where you can care less what other people think. Joining me, as always, Dayon Dunlap. Dayon, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing pretty good. Um, beautiful Monday. Blessed to see another day. How about yourself? Yes, sir. It, I'm doing good. And like you said, a good Easter Monday. I hope your weekend was as great as the UH Cougars had when it comes to the men's basketball team with their new additions. Like I said at the top, they added Damian Dunn and LJ Cryer over the weekend, both committing shortly after their visits with the Houston Cougars basketball team on the topic of Cryer specifically, like it probably not even a full two hours after he left the campus of University of Houston, he announced he was committing to the Cougars. But let's start with Damian Dunn since he came first on Saturday. Obviously, Houston Houston has a first-hand experience of what Damian Dunn can do when he was uh, one of the leading catalysts in Temple's upset victory over Houston during the regular season back in January. Where he comes in, he still has two years of eligibility remaining due to the additional COVID year that the NCAA granted all athletes to play through the 2019-20 season. But his past 22-23 season for the Owls, he averaged 15.3 points a game. He had 3.7 rebounds a game, three assists, and he shot 41% from the field, 34% on his three-pointers. He's a 6'5 guard. Of course, when it comes to Houston and the, the Kelvin Sampson connection, he comes from North Carolina. Down, I'll go over to you. What were your first initial thoughts when you heard that Damian Dunn was committing to the Houston Cougars? Uh, I was... Uh... I was uh, I was excited. Um, I think it, it's a good get. Uh, he would be able to instantly impact the program and the team. Not only can he score like the m- numbers you just mentioned, but he can also facilitate. So I think he'll do well in Samson's system and, and the three guard lineup with really all three of the players having the ability to handle the ball and excel in pick and roll action. Don is a really really tremendous pick and roll player. Played under Aaron McKee, another player who. Um, is familiar with the NBA system in the in the guard in the realm of pick and roll and different angles of the pick and roll where you get the pick and roll, and so um, Samson runs a similar system with that. A lot of pick and roll action, a lot of goal screen action, getting the ball in the middle of the court, letting the players make plays. And Damon Dunn is good at that. He can also shoot the three, can score on all three levels. And so um, I, I was, I think it was a good get for Houston. But he's a solid player. I think he'll be solid for Houston. 
one of the other underrated aspects, and I don't know if you can really call it underrated, but one of his skill sets that he exhibited really over the course of the first three school seasons that he's played with Temple. I didn't mention he's been at the, at the college level since the 2019-20 season, but he only played one game that year after suffering an injury that but basically served as a medical record for him. But one of the underrated aspects that he's shown is his ability to get to the free throw line. That's something when Houston played at Temple earlier in the season that Coach Calvin Sampson really highlighted. And again, you don't want to put, it's not a complete apples to oranges comparison, but he, along with Cryer, are going to be one of the key pieces, especially in the guard room when it comes to trying to fill the gap that's going to be left by Tremont Mark and Marcus Sasser. And that ability to get to the free throw line, again, like you said, Dan, just adds an extra layer to him, just an extra layer of versatility that will really help Houston, and especially in that backcourt that, that really could use, one, a veteran presence, but kind of more ways than being able to hurt you than, than necessarily as it's shown with if it was just like Jamal Shedd or LJ Cryer. Yeah, getting to the having, having the ability to get to the fruit of the line and draw fouls is a skill. I mean, we've seen it a lot last year with Kendrick Davis and his ability to draw fouls. And I think Don has that same ability, like you said, to get downhill – um, and draw contact and make his free throws. And Houston is going to need that because, uh, I mean, we know how the games go. All the time your shots are going to fall. And sometimes you're going to need the ability to get to the free throw line and settle yourself down and settle the team down and slow the game down. So he definitely has that part of his game. Um, he's a, a bigger guard because Coach Sampson likes to at least have a, a couple of bigger guards or a big guard who can rebound in basketball. I know that's important. I'm sure Coach Sampson is going to really um, – drive that into Don that he's going to be relied upon to rebound the basketball. And so he has the size and ability to do so. And I, I think uh, this team will be probably a better shooting team this last year, but we'll, we'll see once it, it's fully incomplete, I mean, complete out there to play, but Don, I like the addition, I like everything that he can do. I think he's going to be a solid player. Now the other addition that the Houston Cougars basketball team added over the weekend came on Sunday, and that was, of course, LJ Cryer, the former Baylor Bear, who went through the process. He had a weekend visit. I believe the first day he was on campus to visit the Houston Cougars was on Friday, and he didn't leave until Sunday, so he had the full kind of the full experience of being on campus over the course of the weekend. And like I mentioned, he was, he was the big name that a lot of fans were hyped up about, obviously from where he comes with Baylor, the experience he was on Baylor's 2021 national championship team. And when you dip, obviously depending on the rankings, a little bit different, but for all intents and purposes, it seems like he was a consensus top 10 transfer get for the Houston Cougars. And, not to again, not to compare him strictly to Marcus Sasser, but I think he is a good fit. You can kind of slot in there. And he's a hometown kid. He's from Katy, and he averaged 15 points a game for the Bears last season. He had 2.1 rebounds, two assists. But I think the thing that sticks out is his three-point shooting percentage. He averaged 41% shooting percentage from on threes for the past season. And I mean. He averaged almost six attempts per game. Even going back the year before that, 21-22, he shot 46% on roughly the same amount of stretches on roughly six attempts per game. So he's a really, really good deep scoring threat when it comes to behind the arc. And he he relies on his three-point shot a lot. Uh, he takes a lot of threes, but he makes a lot of threes. He can shoot a lot off the dribble. That's one thing I, I've seen from him. He has the ability to shoot it off the dribble coming off pick and rolls. If you go under the screen or give him any glimpse of light, he will light you up. And so um, I, I like that addition as well. Uh, he's a tough guard. 
he, in my opinion, isn't a star like like a Marcus Sasser developed into. I, although I think he can be a star for Houston, and if they go on um, a long run, that's when stars are developed, stars are, are born, and I think he can step into that role. <laughs> take and make some big shots. He definitely isn't afraid of the moment. So he's a he's a, a smaller guard that relies on his threes. But he said in the transfer portal when he got in that he wanted to go to a place that's going to allow him to play some point guard. So I'm going to keep my eye on and see how much point guard he actually plays with the ball in his hands. Marcus had the ball in his hands quite a bit um, this last season, him and Jamal, of course. And so with Jamal, we're assuming coming back, I think those two will handle the ball a lot. And Damian Dunn also has that ability to handle the ball a lot. And so I, I want to see his role. Will he kind of go to the Tremont role of last year of rebounding, kind of spreading the floor, standing in the wing or standing in the corner and make shots and at times make plays when he has the ball in his hands? And will it be primarily Jamal and, and LJ um, like it was this season? And so I, I want to see how this team is put together. But LJ is a tough guard. Um, he will defend relies a lot on the three. He can get inside and make plays inside, but he relies a lot on a three-point shot. I don't want to say he settles, but he he takes and makes a lot of threes, and he relies on it a lot. No, that's a great point. Going back to the 22-23 season, he shot roughly 12 shots, 12 shots per game, and six of those 12 on average were from the three-point line, so that that's over half of his shots from behind the arc, but we kind of segue what potential, what the potential fit will be for both Cryer and Dunn, but before we do that, I would like to kind of segue real quick and remind everybody that they are watching, or they're listening and are watching to Pod Slam and Jamma. If you are doing so on the YouTube channel, I'd like to take this time to remind you, if you haven't done so already yet, to go down, hit subscribe, get Give this video a like because it really helps us out. And we are currently just 100 subscribers away from getting that 1,000 subscriber goal. It's been a goal that we've had since we launched back in September, right before the football season started. So we are so close. And we would really appreciate if we can get to that 1,000 sub mark, obviously, as Houston transitions into the Big 12. And, of course, when it comes to this episode, we'd like to give a big thank you to Vince Harding, a real estate broker who is today's sponsor of Pod Slamma Jamma. He's a proud graduate of the University of Houston, former UH homecoming king, and a massive UH athletics fan and a season ticket holder. In addition to being a real estate agent, he is also an attorney. If you are thinking of buying or selling a house, please contact Vince Harding at 832-758-2712. Once again, that's 832-758-2712. Or you can contact him at vinceharding at gmail.com. Once again, that's vinceharding at gmail.com. He is rooting for the Cougs as they start Big 12 play. Now, on the topic of fits, Dan, you mentioned it. Jamal Shedd, we expect him to be back. We would really like to add the note that Cryer is also going through the NBA draft process as well. He's expected to be to come back, of course, since he committed to Houston. But let's, for the sake of simplicity, let's go with uh, the assumptions that Shedd comes back. What could a potentially, you, you'd imagine, I guess I might as well start it. Do you expect both Damian Dunn and Cryer to start for Houston in the 23-24 season? I would assume so. Uh, I, I think you, know, you bring those two players back uh, into college and you transfer their in. I don't think neither one of those, specifically starting with LJ Cryer, I don't think he comes in and is going to settle for a role off the bench. Damian Dunn, 
I don't know. I don't know. I, I assume he will start. I, I, I assume both of those players will start with their experience that they have. And I, I just don't know in this day and age, you you get players to transfer in. Some players, I w- will say, um, you can get them to come in and, and compete for a job. But I think those players will be starters. In my opinion, I think they will be starters because if not, it would be either Terrence or Emmanuel or even the freshman coming in, can they earn a spot? And so I, I assume they'll start – what about you? No, absolutely. I agree. Specifically with Cryer. Now, that brings me next to my point about the starting backcourt. You'd imagine if it's Cryer and Jamal Shedd, one of kind of the things that they'll have going against them will be the size match of Cryer only at 6'1", and similar to Jamal Shedd, there wouldn't necessarily be the tallest backcourt in college basketball, especially starting in the Big 12. I think the thing that they have going for in favor of them the most is, again, they added two experienced guards when it comes to losing Mark and Sasser. They're kind of replacing them with two experienced guards to fill in those shoes, which is something that you're looking at the the makeup of next year's roster is something that they really needed when you think of like you mentioned someone that could potentially compete with those guys for starting spots Terrence Arsenal Emmanuel Sharp who had rotational minutes this past season but they're both going to be entering their sophomore years and then Ramon Walker again kind of becomes that underrated player that I don't know obviously with the way the season turned out for him redshirted uh, a lot of fans have kind of I wouldn't say forgotten about him but he's kind of that under the radar player, what what kind of role will he fit in with Houston's plans in 23-24? And then behind them, Malik Wilson, another player that transferred over to Houston, redshirted all of last season. It'll be interesting to see if he potentially has a role. And then, of course, Cordelius Jefferson is going to be the freshman coming in. They're going to have a lot of depth in that guard group, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of the pecking order falls. And if any of those players decide to transfer now, at as of this moment on April 10th, the morning of April 10th that we're recording this, <clears throat> the Houston Cougars are not looking at anyone specific in the transfer portal. Of course, that could change because th- there's still the deadline for players to be able to enter the transfer portal and be eligible for the 23-24 season is until May, I believe it's May 15th, if I'm remembering correctly, but there's still time for some players to move around, but that's going to be interesting to figure out what kind of the pecking order is in that guard position. But no, I agree. I think Cryer and certainly Dunn, you think about it. I think if you had to pick one, Dunn could potentially be someone that doesn't start, but I don't see it. I think both are starting, especially now it's about juggling kind of what, how do you sell the vision of the team to all the players, especially when it comes to Sharp and Arsenal. I guess Sharp had that six-month role for Houston last season, but Arsenal, you'd imagine he would certainly want a much more set rotational spot coming into next season. Yeah, uh, you, you definitely will assume that ended up. Um, I think it's a fair assumption to make, but I want to see Wilson. Wilson. He was with the season and program a lot. Well, he's with the program a lot, well, throughout the season. And mm-hmm. Coach Samson will mention him a lot is what I'm thinking. And so I, I want to see his role. I want to see Ramon Walker's role. What are those two players? How are they going to integrate themselves into next, next year's team? And how is Coach Samson going to integrate them into the lineup? I mean, I expect Emmanuel to kind of have his same role and show improvements in the in the realm of – becoming more than just a three-point shooter, taking that next step of showing to put the ball on the floor, make plays, and as well as continue to get better defensively. I think 
Terrence is it, it, the is the huge. I don't want to say question mark because I don't question his talents or what he can do and his um ability to develop. I guess it's more in a sense of what, how much is he going to develop and to be ready for next year, and what's his impact going to be? Because you hear people like um John Rothstein mention things about him being a potential lottery pick for next year's draft, and people are close to the program like you and I who watched him. Um, I don't want to speak for you. I'll speak for myself. I, I feel like Terrence still has more time to develop before he can get to that level in which um, I think that he can definitely get to it and become a lottery pick. But he has to be able to showcase that on the floor consistently. And with the additions that they have this year, I, we aren't predicting that he's going to start. But we, will, I think if we predict or I'll predict that he will see a consistent amount of minutes and play more of a consistent role, which that's what you just alluded to. And so I'm really going to keep an eye on him and see that next step because he's such a, a, a um, high, quote-unquote, high-level recruit that he, he has buzz around him as well. No, absolutely. I think that was – I can't remember when Rossi – it might have been Friday or it might have been Saturday. I think it was Friday some point over the last few days where he said that Arsenal was going to be coming back. He wasn't going to enter the NBA draft process, which, like you alluded to, for us that had covered the team the whole season, that didn't really come as much of a surprise. I know after the Oregon game – when he probably arguably that was his best game of the entire season. There was a lot of kind of buzz getting picked up. And again, because of that key word, that potential. Now, when you think of Arsenal and, and you think back to the season before, I think the biggest takeaway down, you hit it right on the head is consistency. And the one thing that I believe it was choir that mentioned it uh, during his Instagram live, where he was the, the, the vision that the Cougars sold on him, it was much more of a specific plan and that's something that we hear a lot of players talk about when they're getting recruited by Houston it's not necessarily promises now when you tie it back into Arsenal there's certainly going to be the opportunity for him for all the players to compete for a set role in the rotation a specific role in the rotation which again you'd imagine if you someone told that to John Rothstein when it came to Arsenal and whether it be that he was actually uh, considering going through the NBA draft process and and going that route, that leads you to believe that they feel, whether it be Arsenal or whoever told that to Rothstein, they feel that this season has to be a kind of like a showcase here for Arsenal to prove that he does have the type of talent that could see him going into the, the NBA draft, which it'll be interesting to see, again, what kind of – the pitches or what, how the pecking order at the guards, the guards specifically, because they have so many guards this upcoming year, turns out to be. Yeah, let me ask you a question. Um, you just referenced a plan that LJ Choir mentioned, and I didn't see his Instagram live. So if you did, if he spoke about that plan, that's part of the question. But also from your opinion, what would you think the plan would be with Coach Sampson and what would you what would your plan be in a pitch to players like LJ and as well as throughout the team because you don't just speak to one player you have a um a vision and a plan with players like a Terrence like a Ramon and, and other players so what's your opinion on the plan um for that you think LJ with the pitch to him and the pitch to other players in the realm of particularly just the guards that Coach Sampson is um putting saying 
Mm -hmm. and specifically when it comes to the Instagram live, he just alluded to kind of what the factors were that, that got him to commit to Houston. But I think when you look at Cryer specifically, and I think it was on three dot com or one of the recruiting sites whenever he initially had his the school that had reached out to him Cryer talked about how at Baylor he didn't get a chance to play point guard at all and that's one of the kind of key things that he wanted to do at whatever school he chose which ultimately ended up being Houston I think if if kind of putting myself in the shoes of kind of the pitch that's got to be one of the key things uh that houston sold on crier is that you're going to be able to have the chance to play point guard here and split it or i don't know if it's necessarily split it but be able to have reps when jamal shed is off the bench and then you can certainly see we saw several times during the course of last season when Jamal Shedd was on the bench. Marcus Asser kind of stepped in and, and led the offense. There were points where Tremont Mark led the offense for Houston. I mean, shoot, there were even some points when Emmanuel Sharp and Terrence Arsenal were both on the floor. I don't know if you could consider that hefty point guard minutes, but there's there's a, an opportunity for him to be able to have point guard minutes for Houston consistently throughout the season. And that's something that we touched on over the course of the season on Let's Read Cougs. Maybe a true point guard was something that this team, a true second point guard is something that this team kind of missed whenever Jamal Shedd was off the floor. And he couldn't kind of be the one initiating the offense for Houston. I think the other selling point, and this is much more for all the guards in the lineup, for those that can that can commit to the vision is that if they are able to find success, if they are able to get through the I mean, the established success that they've had over the past few seasons where it's four straight years where they've competed in a Sweet 16, that's kind of with the amplifier of the Big 12. Having that stage is going to be an opportunity to be able to show not only people across the nation, but even those NBA scouts as well, that they can compete on a high level, not a a high level system that could be trends. You can kind of translate it towards the NBA because when you look at a lot of these players, you know, they're not going to be the stars once they get to the NBA. That could be something that could be sold as well. But, you know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts because there's so many guards. I think ultimately there's going to be one or two players that are the odd man out just because of there's not enough minutes to go around. Maybe yeah. at that point that that could be a side. I mean, cut you off. Maybe at that point that's when you know maybe one of these players makes a decision to transfer out just because they don't have they're not going to have that playing time. Yeah, no, nah, I definitely agree. I, I I definitely think LJ uh, will have some chances with have the ball in his hands and play some point guard. So I definitely think that he was sold um, on that. And Coach Simpson mentioned that, but. That's also one of Damian Dunn's strengths as well, is having the ball in his hands to be able to play, make, and create plays for himself. And so I'm wondering in the pecking order, I'm just thinking of this previous season, how it turned out. You had three guards who could really do that, but really two of them had the ball in their hands most of the time, and the other one was primarily on the wing or in the corner to kind of stretch the floor. And so I'm wondering, are they going to kind of stick to that or open that offense up even more and kind of integrate Damian Dunn and let him do some ball handling because last year he was really their point guard. I mean, we watched the games, we seen him. He was really their point guard and led their offense. Yeah. He did an exceptional job and do that. And so I, I'm wondering what's the pitch um, for him? What What's the plan for him as well? And, and going into the offense and, and going to next season. And then you look for us down the bench. I mean, you got to think when well, you don't have to think, I would say, I think that you are probably 
telling Terrence that there's a plan that he's going to get more consistent minutes on a week-to-week basis. I mean, Cole Sampson won't admit that, but in my opinion, you, you have those talks with your players and you kind of give that insurance um, that next year that this is going to be um, – potentially um, what it can be. I mean, of course, it could change um, based on the season and how things go, but that's what my opinion, I think, going into it. And then um, Emmanuel, I would think it's the same thing. I mean, you see what you excelled at this year, but now it's going to be challenged. What are you going to do to take that next step so you can be even a more impactful player when you're not making a three? And then Ramon, I don't know. Like, in my opinion, I've said on what I, how good I think he is, the impact I think he can have. But it's like, um, do you, I don't know. I, I'm unsure. I want to see that. I don't even want to give um, an assumption or a, a prediction on that one. I just want to see how it's handled because I think he can produce. I think he can produce and I think he can impact the game. But uh, it's somewhere in the midst of those conversations, like you said, with all these guards along with Wilson, like what? What is it? Is he gonna come in and just be another practice player? I don't know what he can produce because I haven't seen him, so I can't give a, a, a logical mm-hmm. analysis on him. And so it, it's just a lot to be seen. I, I mean, a, a lot to kind of predict. And so it's only one ball, five spots on the court at a time. A couple of players coming in for rotational minutes, and um, and so I, I don't know. I want to see it. Just looking at it from the outside in. I don't think – I think this is a solid guard group. I don't think it's a tremendous guard group. It's nowhere near um, the best guards that Houston had collectively over the last few years. You can't even – in my opinion, you can't even compare. It. But that don't mean this team isn't going to be as good or better than those teams because collectively we've seen last year how teams were just reconstructing the first year and they've had success. But that still doesn't mean – um, overall that they're better than previous teams just to mean on how this team went during the season. So um, I think they will be a competitive group. I, I just want to see how it all plays out, who earns what minutes, who does what. The group that, that kind of popped into my head, an interesting lineup would be if you have Cryer and Emmanuel Sharp on the floor together because then that really spaces out. Houston, something that they didn't have this past season, you could give room to Jamal Shedd for Damian Dunn, even for Terrence Arsenal to be able to have space to attack one-on-one. And if the opposing defense has collapsed, they can space out the floor and you can have guys like Cryer and Sharp really be able to capitalize on that. That's one way. That's one factor I feel could be an interesting vision. But even then, that's five cards that we just listed off right there with Shed, Cryer, uh, Don, Terrence, and Sharp. I would imagine that those are, if you chose from today, April 10th, those are the five guards that are set in the rotation, in my opinion which that leaves Ramon Walker. That doesn't leave Monique Wilson. Cordell Jefferson will be a freshman. I'm not sure how much playing time he's expecting to get in, but that leaves those three guys kind of on the outside looking in. Down, I'll let you have any final thoughts before we go to the segue and, and, and plug in our sponsor. No, I mean, I, I have no um, pushback to that uh, opinion or analysis because I could see that transpiring as well. But – at the same time, I mean, I don't know. I just could see that happening as well. And so I, I want to see how it transpires, what happened, who earns what. But in my opinion, I think certain players are promises. And I don't want to say promise. They are told that there's a certain plan for them to get X amount of minutes or have a, or have such a role. And some players will be left out. That's just by the picking order of the numbers. 
Mm-hmm. We shall see. But real quickly, of course, we'd like to say a big thank you to today's sponsor, Pot Slam Jamma, and Vince Harding, the real estate broker. He's a proud graduate of the University of Houston, former UH homecoming king, and a massive UH Cougs athletics fan, and a season ticket holder. In addition to being a real estate agent, he's also an attorney. If you are thinking of buying or selling a house, please contact Vince Harding at 832-758-2712. Once again, that's 832-758-2712. Or you can contact him directly via email at vinceharding at gmail.com. Once again, that's vinceharding at gmail.com. He's rooting for the Cougs as they start Big 12 play, which is less than three months from now. July 1 is the official day that the Houston Cougars will be a Big 12 team. Dan, I want to go back to that. I agree with the five guards. Like I said, those those would be the five. But what do you think about, and this is something that we saw a little bit in 2020-21, not necessarily because of fit, much more uh, need, but what if Ramon Walker were to be moved to the four and have him play minutes? Obviously, he'd be undersized when it comes to traditional four, but it's something that he showed during the 2020-21 season that he is a physical player that can hold his own against other physical players. Now, of course, this will be in the Big 12. I think it's about matchups because it's not like um, past years when you have primarily two bigs, a center and a traditional power forward. Now at times it's a lot of stretch forwards who are guards with, with a lot of length and height, but they're really really guards in a power forward spot with um, having to spread the floor and have an ability to kind of be stretched for is, is what they call them now. And so uh, mm-hmm. some lineups, I could see that. I could see four guards, and I could even see Terrence guarding before us with his length and his um, athleticism as well. And so, uh, I mean, I think that's definitely a possibility. I think, uh, in my opinion, I think Ramon can contribute. And what capacity, I, I don't know. I, I gave my opinion on last year, but this year going forward, I think there's a spot for him on the floor for what he can do. Not on, I mean, just starting on the defensive line. You preach defense, defense, defense. He's excellent at defense from what he's shown, from his mm-hmm. ability to guard to his ability to help defense come in, draw charges, rebound, make quote-unquote culture plays, diving on the floor. And so I, I think I could definitely see some four-guard lineups with him or Terrence guarding some four, just depending on the matchup because – I mean, you look at teams like Texas from last year. They had Timmy Allen at the four spot. He's not a traditional power forward. He's he can score in the post, but he's someone that a, a bigger guard like Terrence or or Ramon can guard him on the post. And so, yeah, it's a lot of that in college basketball. I'm not surprised if Coach Samson would do that. That's one of his strengths, in my opinion, his ability to not only watch the game and make in-game adjustments, but to put together a game plan. And, and switching it up week to week. And so I definitely could see that for sure. And when you think, again, as of April 10th, when you think of the front court with this team, they're at such at a such interesting position because they are going to have a lot of depth and when it comes to big men and forwards. But a lot of it is going to be youth, very young, very young depth because you're going to have Javier Francis, who will be a junior, uh, but it'll really technically be a second year where he would have – rotational minutes and we saw how it kind of fluctuated throughout the course of the 22-23 season Jawan Roberts will be coming back he's going to be he's one of the set starters you'd imagine coming into next season after being a consistent starter this past season and then really it's a lot of freshmen Cedric Lott who 
He'll be a freshman. He's technically a redshirt since he joined in January this past year. You think of Jacob McFarlane, freshman. You think of Joseph Tugler, he'll be another freshman. So they're going to have a lot of youth, and it'll be interesting to see how that position shakes out. And if potentially one of the guards decides to transfer, maybe that could be something that opens up for potentially another vet big to come into Houston's lineup. Potentially. Um, and, I, and I'm wondering, will J1 start at the power forward or at the center spot? That's something I'm gonna, I, I want to keep because last year he started primarily at the center spot, even though him and Jairus were four and five. Jairus really got a lot of power forward. Some games he would guard the bigger player, but mostly J1 had the task of guarding the opponent's biggest player at center. And so will he be slotted back into that power forward spot? But will he stay at that center spot? And will we see a freshman like JoJo Tuggler start? Or right now, as it proceeds, we're assuming that JVA Francis and J1 are going to start. But that's not set in stone. What's the plan for them? Because we just talked about plans. What's the plan for the big man? I definitely think J1 has to take that next step. Uh, I mentioned mentioned this in previous podcasts and where we see him a lot practicing his mid-range jump shot, even corner threes and stuff like that. Is this the season that he actually start taking some of those shots? Um, has to be more consistent on the offensive end. He He's shown games where he can be a force down low, but just has to show that he can do that consistently. And I think he can, but I think it's going to be a lot of emphasis on him to be more consistent on a game-to-game basis in the Big 12 and JVA. I mean, I, I, would, I definitely expect him to play way more minutes than last year because last year he played sparingly, especially in blowouts. He would play a lot of minutes, but he wouldn't be able to play through mistakes. So this is, could be a big year for him. And can he be a reliable low-post scorer? Because I think J1 can do that, but the same for JVA. He has to be a consistent on the offensive end, his ability to score on the block. Defensively, I think he's going to make a name for himself. I don't want to see him chase a lot of blocks, just allow the game to come to him and affect a lot of shots. But I think often he can chase too many shots, which leave Houston acceptable to offensive rebounds. So I think he he just had to um, kind of find his chances as a shot blocker to win a, to attack the ball versus when to block out and get the rebound. But a lot of youth, like you mentioned in the post, how is it going to shake out? Will the, the two veterans from last year lead that group as far as starting? Then what will the freshmen look like? Will they bring in more, um, like you said, someone older? Uh, I, I would like to predict that, that they won't unless it's a, a big-time name. But you, you never know. I think – with the way that it's constructed, you have your two players coming back who have some experience. J1 have a lot of experience. Then you have the young players who you can, just like for a season ago, you get them um, minutes early in the season to, to build up that experience. That way the conference playing tournament play comes down. They're more settling into their role and settling into um, the speed and the physicality of college basketball and know what they can produce um, by time that time comes around. Yep, and when it comes to the topic, and when it comes to J.V. Francis, he's one of the players that Calvin Sampson was high on throughout the course of the season. During the availability, he would, he would always talk about how Francis is going to be a problem this upcoming season, 23-24. So it'll be interesting to see if he does, if that vision does come to fruition. Now, I think, again, this is still way too early. We're talking about April look-aheads at a season that's not going to start until November. But I, I 
would tend to agree with what you said about Jawan Roberts kind of sliding back to the traditional four, at least when it comes to, to the starting rotation. And like you alluded to something that throughout the course of the entire season, him and Jarvis Walker would take turns after practice working with Kellen Sampson on shooting around different spots around the court, which included mid-range and, like you said, corner threes. I think that's going to be something that potentially is an extra layer that gets added to Jawan Roberts' game for this upcoming season. And, again, like you alluded to, you would you would think that kind of – uh, Javier Francis is the, the player that would have to make that big jump and, and be a consistent starter, which, I mean, it, it will be a tough jump from his role this season to next year. But, again, it'll be interesting to see if he's able to to play the part. I definitely think he can. I mean, you look throughout college basketball, there are only a handful of dominant post players. And so I know when we say Big 12, you think, oh, it's big time basketball, which it is. It definitely is. I want to understate that. But there's not a lot of posts in the Big 12, regardless of the conference. There are only a handful of dominant post players. And so I definitely think that he can be a dominant, but also he can just be productive. And so uh, for me, I, I want to I think defensively, he's going to be tremendous. He probably can win defensive player of the year in the Big 12. I think he has that much ability on the defensive end from blocking shots, rebounding, changing shots and everything that goes into it. Anchoring of the defense on the back end. But I just think offensively, I mean, you look at recent years, Houston has had a low post scoring threat. J1 can do it, uh, uh, like we just mentioned, but I think JV has showed he can do that as well. I mean, he has really good hands, catches anything around the basket, can finish with the left with the right, and he can really, he's a really good pick and roll lob player. And mm-hmm. the guards that you have, I think it's going to be a lot more pick and roll. It's already, they play a lot of pick and roll, but I think it's going to be an emphasis on pick and roll, even when JVA, because his diving to the basket and the ability to catch and finish, I think it's really going to help because you got shooters in the corner, whether it be LJ, whether it be Dunn, or whether it be Emmanuel, or whoever the lineup may be, that dive to the rim is going to be a vital with whomever is on the floor with JVA. Absolutely. And again, even though it was in spurts, it was very much stretches of minutes. There were times where Francis would only play a couple, 10, 15 minutes. And in that time, he'd track down 10 plus rebounds occasionally. So that's another aspect to it. He showed that he has flashes of being a rebounding machine, which, of course, we know how much that is emphasized and prioritized in the Houston Cougars program. But that's Pretty much going to do it for today's episode of Pod Slam and Jam. Of course, we'd like to say thank you to today's sponsor and Vincent Harding, a real estate broker. He's a proud graduate of the University of Houston. He's a former UH homecoming king and a massive UH Cougs athletics fan and season ticket holder in addition to being a real estate agent he is also an attorney if you're thinking of buying or selling a house please contact vincent harding at 832-758-2712 or once again that's 832-758-2712 and you can also contact him directly via email at vinceharding at gmail.com that's vinceharding at gmail.com he is rooting for the kooks as they start big 12 play Dan, I'll send it over to you. Any final takeaways, thoughts? Of course, where can people find you? I'm not surprised in um, Coach Sampson and staff being able to get two quality, solid cards. 
I wasn't, um, like I said, I have full faith in him and staff to be able to put together a good competitive team. Now it's just about putting in the work, getting the um, chemistry and all that stuff that goes into the offseason. But I was definitely, definitely not shocked in Houston getting these two quality guards. I think they're going to really have a good fit with the program and really produce at a high level for the program. And so um, no stress for me there. I'm just excited to kind of sit back and watch it all develop and see how it plays out because it's a long time before the college basketball season. It just ended, and it, and it's a long time away. Yeah, we're still seven months away, and there's still a lot to talk about, which is awesome from our standpoint. But I think the, the kind of the, the thing I'll end with is, again, with both Damian Dunn and LJ Cryer, they both committed to Houston just – very, very shortly after their official visits with Houston, which again goes to show with, Dan, like you said, when it comes to what Calvin Sampson has been able to establish at the University of Houston. One of the phrases that Houston, the basketball team, kind of tweeted out after their Sweet 16 loss looking ahead in next season is that they're still Houston. And again, it just kind of reiterates where the program is from a national standpoint. You can follow me on Twitter at Aionis underscore five on Twitter. But most importantly, if you are watching on the YouTube channel, again, like I said during earlier in the show, be sure to hit the subscribe button and give this video a like. It really helps us out. It takes five seconds. And like I said, we're on the road to a thousand subs. If you're listening to the audio-only versions on Spotify and Apple Podcast, wherever else you may get your podcast, be sure to give us a review. It helps us out in that aspect to be able to get out to a larger audience. And very shortly, the Podstime Jamma podcast will be part of the BS3 network, which will, again, provide a additional avenue for people to find Podslamma Jamma down very shortly. We very well could be on TV on Roku. So, of course, exciting things up ahead. For most importantly, the most exciting part as Houston transitions into the Big 12. As always, Dan, you get the fun work. Go Cougs.